There are certain moments and words that shaped a new era in pro wrestling. Austin 316 says I just whipped your ass. Brett screwed Brett. Die, Rocky, die. Introducing the Book of Wrestling, 25 catchphrases that explain the Attitude Era. Tune in as we relive one of the most exciting, intense, and over-the-top times in WWE with new interviews with the voices that made the promos, calls, and catchphrases into history. Listen now. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors has everything you need to keep your ride or die alive. From superchargers, brakes, exhaust kits, and more, 122 million parts, eBay Motors levels your baby up to its peak performance. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to bring home the win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There's a lot that could impress you about the all-new Honda Prologue EV. True, it's got class-leading passenger space and clean, thoughtful design and intuitive technology. But what really sets the Prologue apart from the competition is that it's more than an EV. It's a Honda. Honda, the power of dreams. Visit honda.com slash prologue to learn more. It is the Ring Rap One Show, part of the Ring Podcast Network. Max Verstappen wins in Austria. The good news is it was his lowest gap between one and two this year. The bad news is that's because he stopped for a fastest lap because he was so comfortable and so dominant this year and really kind of emblematic of what this year has been looking like. I'm joined by Max Schuster. Megan, hello. Kevin, I am worried that I already have a black and white flag on this podcast, so just (laughs) just pull me back. Pull me back when I get too close to the edge. Track limits. And then Spanners is here. Spanners had a karting event earlier today, and he said he's broken. You're a broken man. I'm only physically and spiritually. Apart from that, I'm completely fine. Yeah, (laughs) missed Apex karting event, and I've just been bugging Kev and Megan to do a, a Ringer F1 karting event, get people down to New York, all 50 of us smash around a go-kart track. And I said to Kevin, it's like race driver karaoke. You get to stand up there. (laughs) You get to put on a driver costume and pretend you're a race car driver. You will not have a more fun day. We will do a Ringer F1 Grand Prix at some point. I really, I'm probably not very good. There's a, there's a kart track in Orlando and uh, it's, it's a nice car track and it's good, um, good cars and all that stuff. But then there's a little mechanism in which the, I guess you would call it the marshal, can control everybody's speed in case somebody gets, yep. gets too drunk or whatever. And so <laughs> I was with four friends, or they're just bad at driving. I was with four friends, totally sober, like really taking it seriously. And I pulled out and I kind of kind of dinged another car. And they, they, the marshal must have looked at me and said, this guy is not serious. He's so trouble. He completely throttled me completely throttled me and so i had no pace for the entire like race like it's like 10 laps and so i'm just getting blown past and i'm my buddies are looking at me like what is wrong with you don't you have a formula one podcast and i felt like logan Sargent the whole time oh man everybody's blown past me so i need some redemption that was my one karting experience okay and you need to learn your driver excuses so it wasn't you your cart was underpowered uh the tires yeah, had was. gone off it the was. engine was cold oh this is good kev yeah wink wink yeah I'm blame on the it same on the level, marshals but saying the, the same thing <laughs> When I we actually talked to someone after the race, and they said that uh, someone had been throttled so severely uh, the previous week that there was a punch thrown in the direction of, <laughs> of the staff. So it's a serious. 
This is serious carding in Florida. I guess that, that might just be Florida. You know, that's where Logan Sargent's from. So, you know, maybe maybe we just drive bad and then make excuses. Um, all right. So there's so much to get to. Megan, you already mentioned the track limits thing. Lewis Hamilton down in the dumps. Uh, unlike maybe we've seen him maybe a couple times. Maybe tied for some of the worst uh, down in the dumps interviews and, and comments we've seen. Um, let's start with the track limits thing. This was ridiculous. So there were a couple of folks afterwards. Total Wolf basically saying maybe we need sausage curbs and we need more gravel. Um uh, Horner said that as well. Pierre Gasly said, but, you know, you put grass there, there won't be any track limits problems ever again. Um, there's just no incentive to not push push the envelope. Um, Five-second penalties all over the place. Lewis Hamilton had to be talked down um, because he really wanted to to punish everybody in front of him. And then, by the way, and we'll get to this, he, Toto told him it was just a bad car um, and, to, and he just has to drive it. So tough day on the radio for Lewis, but tough day for a lot of people on the radio because this tracks limit things was ridiculous, Spanners. It, it was, and it's, it's a quirk of this particular track and you're going into those downhill sections which invites understeer, so it invites uh, going wide and then they enforce the track limits very, very strictly. And I think in qualifying that makes sense because obviously if you can go over the line uh, to set a fastest lap, you're going to do that. Uh, how do you manage it in the race? I, I really feel like you just you have an overhead video. You look where the cars are driving on a track like that, and then just repaint the line to where the cars are. Because as much as I'm in favour of yeah, drive to the track, you you should be able to know where your car is. Today was boring. It really wasn't sexy to sit and listen to. Oh, you're violating the track limits at turn 10. Well, so's he, miss. Uh, yeah. Sir, Sir Lando Norris is also <laughs> violating the track limits. So uh, that actually, like, I'm not one to ever sit and say F1 was, is boring, but I was bored to tears listening to the complaining about the track limits and all the penalties. So I'm in agreement. I, I want to say real quick, uh, Lewis at the beginning um, blamed the car. He said the car is bad. Car, car couldn't turn, basically. And then afterwards was like, no, it was just, just bad. It was just bad. Um, so it wasn't. It was not a, a car issue. It was an everybody issue. Meg, uh, the snitching was kind of amazing. It was. It was certainly eye opening to see who was <laughs> who was doing the tattling. Uh, Lando got on the radio incredibly early. I swear it was like lap five, and he was saying, "I've seen Lewis go off at least three times. Does he have a black and white flag yet?" And then. You know, when Checo got out in front of Lewis, Lewis well, then, doing the well, same McLaren thing. Said, McLaren said, can you report every time he does it? And Lando <laughs> said, I'm not going to just talk constantly. I'd be on the radio the entire race, guys. I can't do that. I have to drive at some point. <laughs> um, yeah, everyone turned into Chris Paul today, which was yep. very, very funny to see from F1 drivers. Um, and, and from that perspective, I kind of liked it because I enjoyed seeing who was doing the tattling. And yeah. it really kind of showed who was the most frustrated out there and thought that they would get an advantage by by telling on others. Oh, well, we did get a listener comment about, you know, is was it the drivers just being bad or was it a, a silly corner? And it is, I just, I feel like that corner is just a, a bit of a silly corner. But, you know, the drivers, yes, uh, it is hard to see. You're in a cockpit, you're low down. But, you know, at Monaco, they're not just constantly hitting the wall every right. corner. They seem to know exactly where their wheels are right. at Monaco. And one of the big things that the commentary teams are always saying is the precision of these drivers right. just kissing the wall. But when it comes to the track limits, everyone's suddenly like, oh, well, you can't be expected to know where your wheel is. Well, and it's also, 
it's interesting to look at like who didn't get penalties today, right. right? Like Max Verstappen didn't get a penalty. Fernando Alonso didn't get a penalty. Like there are definitely drivers out there who are capable of doing this. So I think blaming mm-hmm. it solely, like like I'm with you that, you know, there could be some minor tweaks to make this less of a the main story of the race. But I, I do think it is more on the drivers than it is the track. Totally agree. We got a couple of uh, listener questions. One of them was about generally the uh, w- whether or not stewards need to watch a NASCAR race and see what happens on those road tracks <laughs> because not just Watkins Glen, which was the original question, but like uh, NASCAR was at Circuit of the Americas a couple of years ago, and on the first turn, NASCAR drivers just gave up on track limits. They're just like, "We're good. We're just going to make our own track. We're going to be fine." Um, but Spanish, to to further your point, Pierre Gasly mentioned the visibility and. I agree. When you watch the onboards, there's limited visibility. But it seems to me that on most tracks, people can handle it. And in most tracks, as you said, we're not just constantly going into the wall. We're not going over the track limit. So it, it has something to do, I think, with the way they push this track and the fact that they're just not penal at all. Um, and, and it just doesn't do anything. Uh, there's there's no risk. And so it's just up to the stewards to to enforce this. And I just don't think guys are going to change their driving style unless there's actual damage yeah. to the car or ending oh. your afternoon uh, on the line. What is your solution, Spanners? Kids need boundaries. Okay. So yeah, they're, <laughs> they're never, they're never going to not keep pushing. Spoken like limit. a true dad. If there was a wall there, they definitely, you know, they wouldn't keep hitting the wall every time. Um, so I'm, I'm actually a fan of enforcing uh, track limits. I like consistency. So yes, if there's track limits there and people are breaking them, the stewards were on it today and they were enforcing that in qualifying. They were enforcing that today. I'm actually in favor of that. It's just that it was very dull to have that dominate so much. And and the drivers kept doing it and the stewards kept pushing back against them. Good. They've set a boundary. I get that. But it made the sport just look a bit silly today. It distracted from all the other stuff that was going on. I'm also a fan of runoff. I like the fact mm-hmm. that if a driver goes off, They've still got tires on tarmac, and that's the safest way to get it stopped. Um, and I'm not a fan of gravel traps because you go into the gravel trap and you lose one of your 20 stars for the rest of the race. Honestly, sit through 90, 90s F1 and you'd, you'd have one of your favorite drivers go into the gravel trap, lap two, and instead of just driving on and continuing, he's just gone. And you'd be left with 12 cars sometimes, well, very often driving around because the engines used to blow up. Um, so people talk about having a strip and then run off, and that's very much, you know, you've got two changes of surface then for the driver to deal with. All these things with gravel traps and grass strips and sausage curbs have a flip risk. Now, my solution is, and I'll I'll keep banging on about it like I have for years, is it would be trivial for F1 to have an electronic detection system. Honestly, like, I'm an ex-electronics engineer, and I promise you it's easy and relatively cheap for a little light to go red when the driver goes over track limits. And it would be even more trivial to then have that yes signal translated into a slight loss of horsepower when they hit the throttle. So you exceed track limits and you've only got 85% next time you hit the throttle. Boom. You are welcome, F1. Okay. So first of all, Christian Horner, to further your point, called it amateurish, the the current system. Um, I agree. I do think you're wrong. Um, I don't think you're completely wrong. Um, And I'm dismissing everything you just said out of hand. Um, Bring it. Let's do it. the gravel and the threat of on lap two, as you said, one of the best drivers going out makes it compelling. We're in an era of incredibly, generally speaking, reliable cars. Um, a lot of strategy has been refined over and over again. Uh, I know there are some exceptions to this with pit stops or 
generally drama free at this point. Having, you know, I was reading a, a book um, about you read the a book sixty one. Yes, wow. about the sixty one. You can read uh, title. <laughs> He's yeah, no, it took me a while. <laughs> I started, you know, it took me a decade or so, but I got through it. And but they were talking about the, you know, the, the the limit, right? And just the idea that in Formula One, the, the book was called the Limit, but the definition in F one is that if you go one mile per hour too slow, you don't make that. You don't make it. You go one mile per hour too fast, you, you you go over. And the danger of going one mile per hour too fast, kilometer per hour, too fast, and your day being over is what makes yeah. F1 compelling. I don't think that there's any... If 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 Carlos Sainz goes into the gravel and his day is over on lap two, that's compelling. It's not, oh my God, we're going to miss Carlos Sainz. That's mm. called a skill issue, brother. <laughs> okay, small counter is when that was the case, when there was a lot more natural barriers and a lot more gravel traps, is it disincentivized overtaking? So if you're trying to encourage, you know, racing and an aborted move ends up in the gravel trap, you're less likely to do that than if you have runoff and it just gives you a 85% throttle penalty. Certainly would have made it spicier when Max Verstappen pits on the, la- on the 70th lap to try to get a, f- <laughs> a fastest lap if there was a possibility that if he overran a corner, his day would be over. I just- I just have one last thing to say about track limits. And I think my... Not my biggest issue with it, but one that I ran into a lot this weekend was sort of the enforcement and relaying of information regarding track limits. And I found it <laughs> I found it most distracting during qualifying where it was. Everyone's seem getting like, a penalty, Lewis. Everyone is getting a penalty. Everyone is getting a penalty. But also in qualifying, you know, they would be three laps into a qualifying and they would have a, a lap time deleted from, you know. However, 30 seconds to a minute to two minutes beforehand. And it just felt like a lot of the enforcement was a bit inconsistent. And that's where I think, you know, like you're saying, Spanner, some sort of electronic monitoring system might be helpful just to have almost an immediate like, oh, your lab time has been deleted. Um, Because I I found that really distracting watching qualifying, trying to keep track of, oh, well, this person's actually down at the bottom now, you know, five minutes later, because it turns out that their lab time was deleted. So Gasly had talked about how you know, obviously 43 laps deleted in qualifying and how that would be a nightmare for the viewer. But I don't know. I mean, I guess you'd have to relay instantly that this lap time has been deleted. But the idea of deleted laps to me is annoying as a viewer if I'm locked in and watching it. I just think the solution is walls, gravel, traps, grass, whatever. I think that 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 is the most obvious and spelled out solution rather than robot umpires, so to speak, telling you you've, you've, you've gone <laughs> over. I, I would want to do it your way and go, okay, well, let's put walls and gravel tracks and grass. I would love a season of that to see how that pans out. I, I think I've seen it before and I, I think it leads to, to worse racing. Uh, but I, I think one thing's for sure, they are going to have to adjust those particular corners here. I think particularly turn 9, 10, uh, that, that yeah. final sector. They're going to have to do something because they can't do that again. Turn 10. Woof. Um, all right, so let's talk about Lewis. He gets 7th today and as discussed he gave one of the and god bless the interviewer he did not want to talk afterwards very common athlete thing no um very short and and there just wasn't much he wanted to talk about um and i don't blame him the car was bad toto said the car was bad uh and said to just drive it he Went out of his way, or I guess he was he was teed up on, but I, I knew it was coming. He said, "Wow, McLaren was a lot faster than I thought." And you were all waiting for, waiting for the second beat, and he just said, "And we were a lot <laughs> slower than we thought." Um, and so Lewis, not happy with the car, down in the dumps, 
Spanners, uh, this was this was tough to see. A bit of psychology in it to try and try and see into Lewis Hamilton's soul, but you don't have to try very hard because <laughs> he is very he's very openly emotional, isn't he? he and is. Um, he is. I'm not I'm not sure that kind of open emotion uh, is is what we are used to seeing from sportsmen from professional athletes. We never see Lewis Hamilton like on a full on like rage. We never see him like having a a grump or like like Carlos Sainz like spitting facts at his team. What you see from him is this kind of real passive aggressive. I'm a big Lewis Hamilton fan, but I am going to use the word sulk. Like he, it's a sulk. He's he's upset, and he doesn't seem to have the anger response to vent it. He always vents it in these ways where he shows he's unhappy. So he's got a lack of control with the pace of the car. So then he feels unfair with the penalty. He doesn't feel like he could do anything about it. It wasn't his fault. The car wouldn't turn. Okay, and then why isn't everybody else? getting a penalty and then, you know, really hammering hard because if he hammers hard for other people to get a penalty, he's getting an element of control back in that race because he didn't have it in his pace and performance. And yeah, in that interview, his body language, everything was so down. And when you're a Lewis Hamilton fan, since 2007, we've gotten used to this. When he's in what can only be described as a sulk, we fear because that generally is either because of bad performances or leads to bad performances. I, I kind of I kind of wish he'd just get angry sometimes. He's de- he's definitely the king of I'm not mad, I'm just disappointed. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think part of it is that he's been a hugely famous person. One of the 20 famous, most famous sportsmen, sports people in the world for 15 years, maybe more, depending on how you, you view that. Um, and I think that he knows at this point everything he says gets dissected and yep, overanalyzed. Yep, yep, yep. And he doesn't, I know this sounds crazy. I'm not sure that people that famous necessarily have the privilege of saying what they want to say. And and I remember something, and I've told the story before. I, I, I had an interview with a, a very famous NFL player last summer, and he didn't give me much. And he used to he used to give me a lot. And um I said to somebody, I said, Yeah, he's not really, not really, you know, it didn't really open up this time. And they said, somebody with the team, and they said, at some point, you get so famous, and Spanners, you you will not understand the reference, but uh, you, you can figure it out, where they say, at some point, you realize that every word you say has a 60% chance of what, ending up on the first take Chiron, which is basically the, the big debate show here in, in the mm-hmm. US, and that your your goal in a lot of these things is just not to do that, right? Just don't, just, just don't wake up at 10 a.m. And I randomly said that, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm this player who randomly said that we're going to win the Super Bowl this year and it becomes a three-hour debate on FS1, ESPN, and, and CBS Sports Network, right? Um, that's, that's the goal. And I think that someone like Lewis Hamilton, it would be if he turned on his team so openly. This is, I think this is as, as, uh, as angry as he can get without people overanalyzing it and yeah. um, calling him things, you know, calling, calling him a bad teammate, calling him whatever. He doesn't get to be what other drivers are because everything will get overanalyzed. If he acted like some of the other drivers on the grid to their, um, if he acted like Nikita Mazepin uh, <laughs> a couple of years ago, he would not yeah. uh, get the same rope because people care. You know, there, yeah. there are other drivers who no one cares, no one pays attention to, and they get to read them the riot act. I do not believe that is the case with Lewis. Um, and I, I do believe that it is uh, deeply unfair. Let Lewis be angry. I think that's a really good insight from like a, you know, a top journo. And just a quick example of that, Lewis Hamilton used to be quite funny and cheeky, but he would get hammered for for everything. Mm-hmm. We had 
top F1 journalists writing like uh, urban speak, mocking articles right. about him. And then he once made a joke quoting Ali G, who was a British comedian, uh, uh, right. the same guy who did Borat. He quoted the most famous line that was kind of going around, you know, the biggest meme. And he got absolutely slaughtered for it. And then you just saw over the years he clammed up and he just, so he couldn't use humour and now maybe he can't use anger. But yeah, bad news for Lewis Hamilton fans at the moment. And, and Mercedes just seemed gutted. They seemed absolutely gutted. They knew they weren't going to be good in Canada, they, but they thought, they thought the core of the Barcelona car was there. And then they, they turn up here and it's cool conditions and that should suit them, but it's a much lower wear, or sorry, yeah, they, were, they went with a much softer range of tyres. Yeah. And actually yes. maybe Pirelli went the correct amount of softness for this. They, they've tended to be quite conservative and go the harder end. I think a step up might have suited Mercedes. For, for a long time now, they've preferred cool conditions, harder tyres. And when you see them in testing, they always seem to do a lot more testing on the, on the harder compound tyres and seem to, to work towards that. But yeah, they looked a little lost. They looked really, really disappointed. And uh, yeah, I think they, they're going to need a, a big W in Silverstone. Bernie Collins mentioned the softer tires thing, um, and I thought she did a great job. I will say this, uh, and I'll leave, it, I'll leave it here. I just realized today, I do not know, Megan and I were talking about this offline, I cannot tell the difference. I did not know this between a Scottish accent and a Northern Irish accent, and now I'm shook. And now I got to go back back to the drawing board and figure out uh, what that is. Meg, uh, Mercedes? Yeah, I, I think this was a weekend for them that was really tough that it was the elongated weekend. I think adding in the sprint shootout and the sprint race with this yes. car in these conditions was especially tough. I mean, George was 15th and Lewis was 18th in the sprint shootout. They finished 8th and 10th in that respectively. I think if you take this weekend and you just do qualifying and you just do the race, maybe it's slightly less disappointing for them. But I think it just got hammered home for them over and over and over again that while McLaren is making upgrades, while Ferrari looks better and is now just 20 points back of them for second place in the constructors, uh, that they ha are not able to keep up this pace consistently. And that must be really frustrating. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by Lululemon. Guys, if you're ready for a new pair of pants, try one of Lululemon's ABC pants. They're made to make you look and feel good. And there's lots of different styles to choose from. My favorite, because I walk around LA every day, I like the joggers. 
I'm not jogging. I'm just walking fast. But if you're working out, I would try them out. And if you want something a little sleek, maybe business-like, maybe try the ABC Slim Fit Trouser. But I am a joggers guy. I just, once COVID happened, I was just like, I'm, I want to wear jogging pants and joggers and all kinds of soft pants as much as I possibly can, especially when I'm working out. Ultra comfortable and versatile. ABC pants are really in a league of their own. Buy a pair right now at lululemon.com. Meg, I want to get to Carlos Sainz here in a second, but you said that this might be your favorite new track, or your new favorite track on the calendar. Um, make the case for Austria, pal. Um, I have I have notes here. I wrote a lot of things down oh! because I I loved I loved this weekend. I thought it was so much fun. Um, just from the aesthetics, beautiful scenery. Love to see yes. some mountains in the background during my race weekends. Um, the Austrian national anthem, pretty incredible. I think one of the better ones on the calendar. Uh, always a chance of inclement weather given where it's located in the mountains. So that was especially fun during the sprint race Saturday, on Saturday. Yeah. There was sort of the lingering chance that maybe it would happen at the end of this race on Sunday, which made for some, some fun contingency plans. Um, the elevation changes I find are challenging for the drivers, limited corners, lots of DRS zones, lots of overtaking. And I think, you know, like you were saying with sort of the tire questions today, I think the way that this track is set up it challenges cars in a variety of ways. So teams sometimes have to take on a variety of different strategies. Like you heard Ferrari coming on today asking Charles, like, hey, do you want to do a three-stopper? And he, you know, firmly came back and said no. But it was <laughs> fun to see teams not just have sort of the one-stop, okay, we're going to alternate between medium and hards, yeah. and yeah. and that's all we're going to do. Um, it was fun to see them take some sort of different tacks today. So yeah, I like Austria. Big fan. And did you see like when when the VS uh, the virtual safety car sometimes that can kill strategy? But today, mm -hmm. um, because it put people like oh maybe this is a no brainer onto the hards. This is the whole point of the Pirelli uh, different tires and and uh, de degrading so that you need to have pit stops. The whole point is you have cars out there on different stages of tires and different types of tires, so yep. you get that delta. And it is a little hard to follow because I kind of lost track of oh wait a minute the midfield had loads of great fights. Mm -hmm. I had lost track, unfortunately, of oh, which one of those guys didn't pit, which of them did right. pit, and but that produced like really good like on track action, I suppose. But yeah, the tracks the tracks marvelous, and it's just it's three drag strips. I think it would get pretty tiring if it was that every week, Megan. Yes, yes. But it, but it always produces a good on track action. Everybody pitted three times, and everybody uh, everybody got a five second penalty. That's how you inject <laughs> drama into this puppy. Um, just, just multiple pit stops and uh, and everybody gets a five-second penalty at random times. Um, I will say this. I, I have in my notes here something Ted Kravitz said, which I I took hard, uh, which is that everybody's doing all the strategy stuff and somebody mentioned the Red Bull strategy and Kravitz said, you know, Red Verstappen can kind of do whatever he wants strategy-wise and it's going to work out. And that's that, I think, is the most depressing part of all of this, which is that they are literally strategy proof unless they build a gravel trap and end up somewhere in the gravel um over the next couple of, of races um it's all uh it, it, it's all sort of written um but let's talk about the car that uh i think probably got a lot of reaction afterwards it was ferrari um it was interesting because after leclerc basically said Vaguely the same thing, which was it wasn't down to tire management. We were just slower than Red Bull because he was asked about it afterwards. Um, we have to talk about Carlos Sainz as well. 
I can live on this earth for a million years and I would never, not a toxic masculinity thing, not into it, but I would never utter the phrase, he's intimidating me a lot. As Carlos Sainz did. <laughs> Multiple times. Multiple As Carlos times. Sainz did over the radio, can we please investigate him intimidating me? Was his call to Ferrari. I don't think anything came back on the intimidation charges, but wow. I was dying for the race engineer to tell him to stop inventing at that point. <laughs> because was that just a made-up rule? Like, is there a rule? What my first thought was there may be, like, in the pre-race driver brief, they had said something like, don't use aggressive positioning to intimidate right. a driver. But right. that is one of the key drive driving tactics at any level. Even me as an amazing superstar go-karter from yesterday, if it wasn't for that one dodgy <laughs> car and that guy that hit me, even at my level, like, you know, if you, you aren't going to make the move, you make sure that you put yourself in a position that the driver can see you. So now he's second guessing. Can I go to the apex? Do mm -hmm. I have to leave room? Is something coming? And then you go back to resume your normal line. You completely made them sacrifice the correct racing line and you can get a cutback or something. That happens in sim racing, happens in every single game. Like, intimidating car, car position is absolutely fundamental. And I was really surprised to suddenly have Carlos Sainz protest against that. And especially when he was sitting there blocking and moving in the braking right, zone. Right. Yeah, it was an odd one. I was, uh, my speed was limited in Orlando because I was intimidating other drivers. And that's just that's one of the that's one of the hallmarks. And the, of, and the wind driving. was against you. The wind and was the against wind, you in that car rate as well. Me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, Meg, vibe check on Ferrari. Um, well, I, I just, I sort of appreciate that Carlos wants them, wants F1 to start policing emotions now and the way that other yeah. drivers make you feel. He looked at me weird. <laughs> because it's oh like, how God. do you police intimidation? <laughs> like, I don't know. I was actually going to ask you guys if there was any sort of rule because he said the word intimidating multiple times. And I was like, is that some sort of like keyword in, in the, the FIA regulations or something that you're not allowed to do this? It was wild. Um, but overall, I mean, I think it was a good weekend for them. I think they don't have the pace to keep up with Red Bull. I don't think anyone was really expecting them to, but it was impressive to see their tires hold out a bit better than I thought they were going to, even with, you know, Charles pushing like he wanted to. Um, they, it was a tough weekend for their strategists over the radio. Mm -hmm. um, Carlos had a, a number of sassy things to say when he was being held up by Charles in the beginning of the race, and they sort of refused to let them fight, which was an interesting decision. And yeah, I already talked about Charles flat out telling his engineers no to a three-stop strategy. But um, overall, great result for them, but I, I still think they're working out a lot of kinks. Carlos loved saying you play the team game a couple of different ways afterwards. <laughs> yeah, obviously played the team game. Just you know, playing playing team 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 game. Like he said it like three times. Um all right. Uh anybody else, Spanners, uh, you 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 wanna shout oh, out I, before we get to I the just questions? kind of want to say that the whole I can go after Verstappen thing from Carlos Sainz <laughs> was was a lie. I want I'm gonna call lie on that. Because I think he knew full well that Verstappen had pace in hand. They'd had all weekend to look at their their pace, Friday practice, the sprint race. There was no way you're saying, I want to go at, uh, at Verstappen. It was, let me ahead of Leclerc and I'll build just enough of a gap that you can't justify doing the swap back. But there's an internal driver battle at Ferrari. And actually, I would have said to you, like last year... Leclerc is winning that. He is going to be the number yeah. one driver at Ferrari. And at Ferrari, you must be the number one driver or you are Barrichello, Massa, etc., Eddie Irvine. Uh, but now, 
I think there is an absolute chance that Carlos Sainz could win the internal political game over the course of the season. Hmm. That's an that's interesting idea. Yeah, and then watch, and then watch. Leclerc will just magically, like like Vettel before him, yeah. will just magically, and like Rubens Barrichello before him, and like Kimi Raikkonen before him, will suddenly suffer a dramatic loss of pace, and we'll be lost as to why. Um, I was at a thing a couple weeks ago with uh, where Zach Brown and Lando Norris were talking, and they were talking about, they asked Zach what the data revolution in F1, and there's always been some level of data revolution happening in F1. It's a, it's a very analytics-driven sport, but he came in to open-wheel racing, I think in, what, the 80s in, in Southern California, and he just didn't have that 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 kind of instant feedback, and, and F1 didn't either. And they asked him what the biggest difference is now, and he has, Zach Brown's answer was short and sweet and kind of cuts to the heart of what we're talking about. He said, you can't bullshit anymore. Like, you cannot bullshit your team. You can't say, hey, I really think I'm picking up speed in the trade. Like, no, 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 no. We have the data. We have data <laughs> on every single thing. And there's a readout here that tells you exactly what you are. As Bill Parcells said, the famous football coach, you are what your record says you are. We have your record in every sector over the entire weekend. And it is it is more detailed than it ever has been before. And so to say, like, with Carlos Sainz, he's like, oh, yeah, I can take over my stuff. No, you can't. You can't. Also, Carlos. I think Max was already like six seconds ahead by that point. So Max was out of the was out of DRS <laughs> range, like the the um, after the first lap of real racing. Like yes. he just Instant, put this yeah. away as yes. soon as he could. Like we just gotta end the fiction that anything weird is gonna happen this year. <laughs> I'm actually starting to wonder, and I thought, should Red Bull just throw a race so that they don't change <laughs> the rules? No, no, no. Right. Just sometimes, just one one mysterious DNF from Max in the middle of the season. Sometimes a team and a driver are dominant. It's it's just going to happen in F1. If you want to build a a lifelong relationship with Formula 1, which I believe the the American F1 audience wants to do, and by the way I've spoken to a lot of content creators and I think US interest in F1 is holding fast and it's actually the European interest that is starting Ooh. to go down a little bit. And they're, that's, the fraud. That they're the fraudulent F1 fans. Not us. <laughs> the Europeans, oh, no, not I'm Americans. Not. Oh no. The drive You're to survive like generation a... is real. You You're heard it from Spanners like tr- first. I'm not a traitor. I'm not a turncoat. I'm just pointing out facts. No, no, don't take <laughs> me away. Um, but uh, if, if you are going to be in, in love with F1 for the next couple of decades, and I hope you are, this will always happen. This will never not happen in Formula One. You, you will occasionally get a driver break away. But just, you can take a driver away from the top mentally and look at the battle behind them. We have got one of the most fascinating and competitive seasons because I have never known a season where the form of the the non-Verstappen entities is so track dependent. Like I, I can't put my finger on what is happening, but week to week, it flip-flops. Barcelona, totally in Mercedes' wheelhouse. They could tell in Canada it wasn't going to be you know, their day and, and Aston Martin could kind of, you know, look forward and be a be- bit better. You get to Austria and suddenly Ferrari come to life and Aston Martin are nowhere and Mercedes are having a nightmare. And what the hell was going on with McLaren? Suddenly, did you see Lando Norris was complaining he had a nosebleed from being that high up the, the grid? <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think like this series, if just mentally remove Verstappen, because you are going to have to do this in the decades to come. And this is a fascinating championship. Pick a winner. Pick who is going to be the second place driver in the championship. Perez is probably favorite, but pick the constructors title outside of Red Bull. 
That's fascinating. And that is definitely something to enjoy for the rest of the year. Meg, do you feel good about living in the capital of F1 and that we are not nosediving like the European fans? Martin Brundle wasn't even at the race. He's giving, I didn't he's say up. nosedive. Wow. He shook. He shook. He shook. <laughs> he's seeing all it's these over. British it's numbers American dropping. Sport. and he, yep. uh... <laughs> It's Kevin, American maybe sport. Colton Herta is going to come in mm-hmm. next year. Logan Sargent was pasty today. He was pasty Finished today. Finished 13th. 13th, baby. The American takeover is on. <laughs> Maybe um, you're Martin Brundle now. Maybe that's how it works. Martin's learning how to do the generic Midwestern accent. That's exactly right. No, I was <laughs> going to say the the one thing, and I've said this a million times, that would preclude me from ever being anywhere close to a microphone on a race is that on the first lap, I have no idea what's going on. And the fact that, yeah. that Crofty and Brundle can do anything close to it, I would just say the whole time my analysis would be like, oh my God, oh, look at that, <laughs> look at that. And listen, there are analysts in other sports who that is actually their analysis. But in F1, again, can't bullshit. As Zach Brown said, you cannot bullshit. Every time they they slightly flub on the first lap, I, I feel so much better about myself. Like today, I think they said, or they had Lance Stroll up in fourth or fifth or something. And it actually turned out to be Fernando. And about halfway through the lap, yeah. they, you know, kind of corrected yeah, themselves. Realized. And I was like, and, and, I was like, thank you. I was like, this makes me feel so much better about myself. And, and, Sometimes uh, he has to go. He has to just name the car. He has to. Oh, I think there's yeah. an alpha in there, yeah. and that's when you know that's that's when they defeated him. He has no idea which which alpha it is. At some point, you've got to like hook me up here with like you you know everyone. Hook me up with like a top a top famous commentator because I love the art of commentary. I've had a go at it myself, and recently I, I went back into my commentary career to try and pull out some stuff from my show reel, and I went oh. I wasn't very good at commentary. And I sort of realized <laughs> that from listening back. It's, it's such a difficult skill, you know, building the mm-hmm. story of the race. And you need you need to be like a, a mental octopus and have yes. an arm on each part of the race and what's going on. And actually, it gets to that point where you don't need to look at the car and, and figure out which driver it is because you know the story of the race. So, you know, a, a car suddenly appearing in fourth place, benefiting from a, a, a battle up front, well, that's got to be, you know, Derek Peterson. And you just kind of get this mental track map in your head. And it, it's a beautiful thing. And this is why when people criticize David Craft, uh, I think, you know, maybe that's more for the practice session type stuff. But when it comes to calling a race, David Croft is, is genius level, um, possibly one of the greatest of all time when it comes to just knowing what's going on in the race, building that and delivering it down your ear holes. But you also have to have the eye. You have to see the the sport very slowly in a way that I just can't do. And like I, I've tried like growing up, I would see like, hey, could I be a play by play guy? And I would like, you know, put a game on mute or whatever. I just don't. I don't have that that level of eyesight where no. I can just see something very slowly and say, here comes here comes uh, <laughs> Botas. Not many people do, and I will tell you, there's there's obviously there's a lot of great commentators out there. The level and quality of commentators drops off a cliff at a certain point, which is why I was able to get paid work as a commentator for a couple <laughs> of seasons uh, because it is such a hard skill. It is such, mm-hmm. If you find a good commentator for your series, double their pay, hold them close to your chest because they don't come along very often. Last summer, I had to watch a non-crofty broadcast, uh, maybe an internet type of broadcast um, through F1, and I, it, did, it was not the same. I'll say that. Um, all right. So let's get to questions. Darren asks, can we get Hamilton a full list of the penalized drivers immediately after? I think that's a good idea. They should just hand it to him and say, here you go, Lewis. Here are the guys. 
Um, all right, we got a lot of questions about the fastest lap. Um, whether that's they, they won American sports comps, or maybe was it just unfair that they did it? Does it say anything? I'll I'll, I'll tee you up, Mag. Like, what did that fastest lap pit stop from Max teach you? Um, it taught me that he is still trying to find ways to have fun out there. That yeah. <laughs> you know, he was he was so often on his own this race that he realized and 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 two like he has this internal strategy mechanism in his head to know what is going on all around him, which I find really fascinating. He showed that a few different times today with some of his overtakes near like the DRS detection line, which was really mm-hmm. impressive. That and was so, just, so amazing. Yeah. He, he just like really knows what's going on. And so when he got on the radio, he said, I know that I'm 24 seconds ahead. I know that the pit stop time is hovering around 20 seconds. I trust my strategists and my engineers to get me out there fast. And it it worked out for him. You know, it was it was definitely a risk, but I think at this point Red Bull is just operating on such a high level that if Max wants to find a way to have fun and wants to toy with Ferrari a little bit and wants to be a bit of a, you know, rub it in your face kind of guy, then why not let him? You might as well. Uh Christian Warner said afterwards that uh Dietrich, who obviously this was the first race in Austria since his passing. His old saying was "no risk, no fun," and I do think there's, for as much as they're an energy drink company, I think people see them as some sort of um, lame corporate branding exercise. Um, they do have sort of a gung ho attitude about these things. I'm not surprised they did this. Also, it just shows you how efficient they, they're not going to screw up the pit stop. Nothing oh. is going to go wrong. They're so reliable. There's no gravel pit because people like spanners um, won't won't install one. <laughs> um, and so the, they they know that they can operate at peak efficiency, and it's going to be fine. Spanners. I think they have a consistency with that pit stop. And so I think this is an underrated tool. It came up earlier as well when, uh, okay, so they did end up coming coming out behind Charles Leclerc. But, you know, the the attempt obviously was to to make sure they did everything right. And it was like 2.3 seconds. There are other teams that can do two second pit stops, not as consistently as Red Bull. Uh, And you look at Mercedes and look, doing a three second pit stop is still like amazing. But I think, like, if you count up the amount of times that Mercedes do a slightly slower stop, a over three-second stop compared to Red Bull, the difference is that in a tight battle going for the undercut or overcut, Red Bull can absolutely rely on 99% of the time they're going to pull out a 2.4-second pit stop. Mercedes don't have that same luxury. Luke Smith is reporting that Aston Martin has protested the entire results of the Austrian GP. Aston Martin have protested it. Yes. Yeah, and and they'll do well. They are really, really good at this. <laughs> they're great. They're great at this. What, like on they, what grounds? Oh, so it's going to be that Lando Norris violated track limits. So I've I've had that drop in my inbox as a rumor as well. So they want basically Lando Norris to get a a five second penalty, which would promote Fernando Alonso, I think. Uh, but they're great at arguing this stuff. Like they got out of when they they incorrectly yeah. served the penalty by touching the yep. car. Like, how'd you get out of that? You can't touch the car within five seconds. And they did. And then they somehow argued that that was fine. I, I just put my money on them winning this because I think they're really good at this. Is one of the things, like Scott Mitchell mom was on our show a couple weeks ago and said that one of the lessons of them, of, of their rise is just hire the best people, but not do it all at once. Just you know, hire here, hire there. Did they hire like the best rules lawyer possible? Maybe, yeah. I feel like that would be an underrated. I would get the guy who's just an absolute maniac with the rule book. I mean, Toto tried it with the, I sent you an email thing a couple of years ago. It didn't work. I, I think certain, certain teams, certain teams are better at playing the referee. 
Like that is undoubtedly a skill. And uh, Manchester United, they is come out, you know, a bit later. But when they were in their pomp, they would take turns as players to, to, to try and undermine the confidence of the referee, make him feel like he's doing a bad job. And because it, it's all different players coming from everywhere, the ref would be like, oh, maybe, oh, maybe I should have given that penalty. And then over their dominant years, they just used to get way more penalties than other teams and decisions in their favour. And there are certain teams that can do that. Obviously, the best example at the moment was is Red Bull 2021. Red Bull played the referee. They played Michael Massey all the way throughout the season. Brazil 2021, when there was that absolutely ridiculous driving off the track of Lewis, uh, of Lewis Hamilton. Verstappen drives Lewis Hamilton off at turn four, miles off the track. You know, they, they were nearly at the Mexican Grand Prix by the time they'd finished that manoeuvre. <laughs> and Christian Horner himself came on the radio and said, this is what we meant by let them race. It obviously isn't what you meant by let them race, what run them two tracks with off, off the track. But they played the referee and they completely got into Michael Massey's head, I believe. And, and I think Aston Martin, to a much, much lesser extent, they are just really good at, we know the rules, we'll argue our case. And some teams, some characters, some team principles just have a bit more charisma and push and power to do that. So you're right, Kev, it is an actual skill. Aston Martin's protest is that a number of cars were not penalized for a breach, which means they're just going to keep protesting until they win the race. I love it. This is this is a this is a good strategy. Like just raise a new protest every day. Well, you didn't give us Lando, so here let's let's toss uh, Charles Leclerc in there. Let's let's see if Max Verstappen can get a few time penalties and, and bring him a little bit closer to the pack. Uh, here's a good question: What's going on? What's going on? It's very short and sweet. What's going on? With Alpha Towery from Noah. The eternal question. What isn't going on with Alpha Towery? I think maybe a better way to phrase that. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, interesting weekend for them overall. Uh I, like what part of this do we want to start with? The Nick DeVries of it all and the fact that he, you know, apparently has four races to prove himself to to the wider Red Bull ecosystem. Yeah, and, and listen, I, I think it, Sergio saved himself from him being a topic on this show by having a nice Sunday because his mm -hmm. qualifying has gotten so bad that if he was a passenger today, he may have been like the second topic here. Um, so that makes things a little different for Alpha Tauri. There's no maybe imminent promotion happening. Danny Ricardo may be, um, maybe in the mix as the season goes on, but I just don't know why he'd want to be Nick DeVries' replacement. He could have had that gig before Nick DeVries was even hired. If he misses it that much, we can, we can talk about that, whatever. Um, but I just don't, it seems a little aimless right now, Spanners. So I think Nick DeFries is in real, real trouble with Helmut Marco giving that that interview and just yeah. saying, oh, Christi Christian Horner didn't want him and I did want him yeah. and it looks like Christian was right. That's absolutely savage and brutal. So I completely believe that it wasn't a case of like Ricardo going, oh, well, now I'll eat my eat my oats and uh, I'll eat my porridge and and be an Alfa Tauri driver. I think they might just have a situation where they're just not happy with, with Nick DeFries and then they're going to end up just, well, who's our nearest replacement? Okay, for that point of view, Daniel Ricciardo, uh, you know, like a retirement tour, that that kind of makes sense. It'll be fine. It'll be absolutely great promo. Uh, but I think the performance today was more down to the fact that their number one driver, who I think is on, you know, quite good form, Yuki Tsunoda, just had a bit of a shocker. And he just put that limit, yeah. he pushed that limit of risk and reward too far. So if you look, there was a big squeeze, I think, into turn three, perhaps, or turn two or three. 
So big squeeze, he gets caught up in the middle of that, ends up losing a bit of his rear wing. But then when you go down to turn four, just makes absolutely no allowance for the pack bunching up, tries to send it down the outside of, I think, one of the Alpines. And then, and then, and it's successful, but then he suddenly finds, oh yeah, there's another 12 cars all trying to hustle their way through turn four. And he just has to go off to do that. And now that is, I think, what we call in the industry a rush of blood. So that's a rush of blood to the head. He's already broke, broken his wing. He's feeling bad. It, oh, do you know what? In pinball, it's tilt. Do you know what I mean? He's shaking yep. the table because he got a bad bumper. So that's what happened today. Yuki Tsunoda went on tilt. And then it went further. They incorrectly served the pit stop. I didn't see why. So they got another 20-second penalty or something. So that's what's going on with, with Alpha Tauri. All their eggs are in the Yuki basket, and Yuki blew it today. Uh, I will say, that they do have a test driver named Liam Lawson that nobody ever brings up. I, I, think, I think he might be, I mean, just from what I've been reading over the last week, which, you know, is not especially insightful, but... It seems like he may be the favorite to replace Nick if they do a, a mid-season switch around, which would be interesting to do. But in the long term, I'm not worried about Yuki. I think today was an example of stuff that we hadn't seen him yeah. do to this point in the season and stuff that he had done in previous seasons. And I think he's been much more under control. I think, like you said, Spanners, he just had initial damage and then was trying so hard to overcome that and make up for that, that he kind of overcompensated and messed up and never really yep. got it back. So I, I think he'll be fine. I think the Nick DeVries thing is especially concerning. It sounds like he has three more races before there may be an ouster. I think they were trying to give him four races that he was somewhat familiar with the tracks um, to see what he could actually pull out. But judging by this weekend, it doesn't look especially bright. Yuki's now gone five straight races without finishing in the points, not putting a lot of pressure on Checo. Um, and then the Checo thing was always going to be long-term anyway, um, unless the, their relationship devolved ex to an extreme degree, which maybe there were hints at that on Saturday after the sprint, but everything, you know, Max basically said that you, we should make this a big story. They had this disagreement. Checo says he didn't see Max in the sprint. And I, I don't think that's going to be a huge flare-up, Spanners, unless, unless you think it's going to be a, a second... <laughs> A second shooter drop. Uh, well, I just want to once again say that's a lie. That uh, all of that was lies. So Perez, oh, I didn't see Max Verstappen. I I didn't, you know, see the opportunity to score a sprint race win and restore my reputation. And then when Verstappen, I think it was the second of the two ones where he pushed him wide. I think in turn four. Oh yeah, understeer. Oh, damp and rain. Go and look at the onboard. He really didn't look like he was trying hard. I'm not an expert, but like if, you know, you see a lot of lock and then it pushes forward, you know, that's fine. That happens if you, you know, lock up the brakes or if you're just not getting the bite on the front wheels because you've got maybe a bit of aquaplaning. But he really didn't look like that. It was a very lazy turn to the right. Very similar to, oh, this track uh, in 2015, I think, Nico Rosberg against Lewis Hamilton. Very similar situation. I think that was down to turn three, though. Um, and you can just, you don't have to take the apex. So in it, people always go, oh yeah, he didn't, he didn't hit the apex, Silverstone 2021. But you don't have to. If you've got a car to the, to the outside of you, you can just keep going towards the exit if you want. And it's, it's fair enough. That other driver just has to deal with it. You can push them all the way to the exit until the point that they no longer have track to operate within, which is pretty much the point at which Verstappen, that's what he did. And I don't think there's anything wrong from that. It was a really robust, rude defense on his teammate that he would have definitely gotten later. 
But then you turn around and go, oh, no, oh, I understeer. I don't know what his excuse was, but a lot of people were making that excuse for him. No, this is Max Verstappen. If uh, if another driver had done that, you might kind of go, oh, well, you know, that's um, that's a little out of character. But this is not out of character for Max Verstappen. That's exactly the kind of move that he dines out on. He's always done that. So just, and I'm only doing this because of the overwhelming body of evidence from the last eight years, I will say that Max Verstappen deliberately gave Sergio Perez no room twice. And I stand by it. Sorry, was that a bit right. ranty? I went no, off on no, one there. No, no, it wasn't ranty. I, I would like I to I announce, I, I swear to God, I'm not making this up. I cannot see all of the replies. We only have a, time for one more question, but I cannot see all the replies. Because oh, I nice am, one, I Elon. Am, I am rate limited. You oh reached your limit. Wow. I reached my limit. Um, Got all the right. black and white flag However, from Elon. There is a tab open where I can see this question, which is what I wanted to ask anyway. It's from Dakota. Where would you rank the car is bad, just drive it, Meg, among Toto's all-time radio messages? Ooh. Um, I I don't think it was like especially original, so I probably wouldn't rate it that I mean, it was pretty, I, I doubt. Like how many times did it happen in F1 history spanners? That someone just said like, yeah, this is on us. Uh, this- just keep it moving. There's nothing good about that radio message. <laughs> the first part of that radio message is shut up, man. Like, and because Lewis Hamilton was just saying way too much. And like, if you're, that's your drunk mate in the bar, you're like, mate, you will thank me for this. Just trust me. Yeah. I'm your friend. You've had too many. You've told this story three times now to the same group of people. They are nodding and being polite. Just shush. That's the first part of it. The second part of it is that the boss has had to come on the radio to be the big bad for the discipline. And then his message is, our car is a steaming hot turd. Just publicly, just saying that in front of but everyone. But that's not new, though. He's been saying that all year. So that part of <laughs> the, it, I'm like, okay, this isn't news. Like, Toto openly shits on his car a lot this year, and it's fine. And him comforting Lewis or saying, you know, just please get on with it. I don't think any of this is like especially new information. I did like the tone with which he conveyed it, which was disappointed slash slightly angry dad just saying like, Mm -hmm. look, we have to get through this and we have to get over it. So just like keep going and we'll finish the race and then you don't have to drive anymore. Um so, so the tone I appreciated. I didn't find the message all that interesting. I've I've had a number of of other favorite Toto messages that would still rank higher than this. I, I'm, I'm with you, Kev. I think that was uh, very, very telling, and that is that is dirty laundry that I don't think Mercedes would necessarily want aired in public. When I was growing up, when my mom and I would or, uh, would would be talking back and forth about something, and she wanted to end it, she would just go, "You've made your point. You've made your point." <laughs> and like that's that's that was Toto today. Just like we got it. Mm-hmm. We're all clear. We know how you feel about the car. You've been telling us all day on the radio, um, and so now it's time for you to to do the thing that you're put in the car to do. Um, I, 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 I agree. It was dirty laundry. It was a, a peek behind the curtain. And I don't, I think this is such a huge test for Toto's image. I think it's just uh, Mercedes image. Just like how, what happens when not only is there no hope for any hardware this year, but it doesn't, I mean, I, it's a tough road to hoe even going forward for next year. And how does sort of a, a team that prided itself on, um, and I've said this before, like you did a podcast, I think it was the high performance podcast, it was called like empathy, not engineering. Like the whole thing was just good vibes. Well, what happens when there's no possibility of good vibes? I I, I actually am intrigued to see it. I think it's maybe a little more stuff like this, guys. I, I would say Mercedes, like, like suck it up. It, it's a real difficult yeah. sport and you dominated for a long time. 
now you've got to fight your way back. I mean, that is just part of it. There's no, there's no God-given right for Mercedes to return to the top. They might never return to the top. They might never fight for another championship again. All right, guys, this has been great. Thank you to Erica Cervantes for production help. We'll be back uh, in 30 minutes when Aston Martin lawyers their way <laughs> <laughs> to a win <laughs> to the Austrian Grand Prix. But other than that, uh, we will see you after Silverstone. This has been the Ringer F1 Show and the Ringer Podcast Network. This episode is brought to you by Empower. You got money questions like, can I retire early? What are my best savings options? Can I afford to pay for my kid's education? Luckily, Empower has all the answers. With Empower's real-time dashboard and real live conversations, you get clarity on your real-life financial goals. So join 18 million Americans and Empower What's Next. Start today at Empower.com. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Sponsored by Empower, not an endorsement or a statement of satisfaction by a client. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.